Hi and welcome to the Travel Hero Podcast by ITB. Are you ready to reveal some superpowers of the great minds of the tourism industry? May I invite you to join me in giving him a big hand, Mark Eberhardt, owner Luxury Hotel and Spa Management, who has close to 30 years experience in luxury hotel industry and is indeed committed to total excellence. Mark, the stage is yours. A very, very warm welcome from my side. And um, I'm not doing this for the first time, but I must say I'm a little bit nervous today because it feels like David among four Goliaths. And uh, I don't know how many thousands, let's say 10,000 of hotels are represented by these four gentlemen. So I take tremendous pride and it's an enormous honor to introduce and welcome to this panel, starting from your right with Mr. Puneet Chatwal, the CEO from the Taj Hotels, coming here from Mumbai. Mr. Benjamin Lacoste to the second, <clears throat> representing the Metropolo Hotels, one of the sub-brands of Jingjiang Hotels. Just allow me to open a little bracket there. Jinjiang Hotels, and he just shared with me this morning, grew within four years to the second largest hotel group in the world. We then have Chris Cahill, who is representing all the luxury brands from Accor. And to the far left, we have Thomas Wilm from the Steigenberger Hotels here in Germany. And beyond of course, but based here in Germany. Today, when we talk about luxury, and if we have such an enormous power of luxury hotels present here today, I'd like to look into three topics. The first one is, let's have an understanding that the bling-bling luxury is dépassé, it's over. This is the way how hotels have distinguished themselves for many, many years, but what had been the ultimate to distinguish the running water, the hot water, the bathtubs are the new standards of today. So how do hotels today position themselves beyond the tangibles? The second question will be around sustainability. We're all talking about sustainability. We heard it yesterday. There is a huge forum here on the ITB about green and greener, we have an understanding that triple bottom line is what counts today. So if anybody can contribute substantially, it would be these hotels represented here. And the third topic is digital, digital, digitalization. Is it a curse or is it a blessing? In terms of luxury tourism, Do we need or do we not need digital? Digital as a working tool, yes, but if we go on holiday, have we about to dawn the digital detox area? So these are some of the questions that I'm very much looking forward to put to these four gentlemen. Maybe I can start with you, Chris from the Accor brand. <clears throat> when we talk about bling bling, when we talk some of these very fine brands that you uh, represent that have written history, so to say, in luxury trade, how do you cope? 
What do you do? What do you tell your customers today and tomorrow? Yeah, I think <clears throat> from uh, Accor's perspective, the, the luxury brands we, we have as part of our portfolio are Raffles, Fairmont, Sofitel, and, and Orient Express, uh, their newest brand, which is going to, we're going to open our first hotel later this year. I think whether you're an individual dedicated brand or you're part of a larger conglomerate, it always goes back to the customer and the relevance that you can have with your, with your customer base. What we try to do and what we hope to succeed in is maintaining a separate identity for each of our brands. And what I mean by that is we have separate brand teams, so we don't co-mingle the um, resources that are uh, there to ensure that the brand remains relevant. And I think tying some of the concepts that you uh, represented in terms of uh, your opening, you know, when you think about hotel brands, it's product, it's programming, it's people. And for years, in, uh, to your point in luxury, a lot of it was around the product elements. Today, Luxury has been democratized in the sense that people's view of what is uh, luxury has a lot more to do with what they feel and what they see and what they experience. There's a minimum standard that you have to have, obviously, in luxury, and I think we all work to maintain a minimum uh, standard in terms of quality. But it's really in the programming and the service element that you distinguish a brand, and that deals with your comment on digitalization and also in terms of the environment, because customers wanting to know what you really stand for in terms of your social responsibility, in terms of your culture, etc. So I think it's always been our belief that I mean, the biggest element associated with, with the, a luxury brand is really in that third element, which has to do with your talent, your people. And that's the hiring process, the orientation, the training, uh, the sensitivity they have to have around uh, guest needs. But I think the general theme that we've observed over the last 10 to 15 years is people talked a lot about experience as being very critical, and now they're talking more about transformational travel. In other words, how do I get enriched uh, by my travel experience? And that puts a lot more emphasis on hotels, not just brands, but the actual hotels themselves, to find ways to enrich the guest experience that goes far beyond the walls and sometimes beyond the destination. Um, so that requires a level of personalization because every guest is different, their needs are different, uh, and the extent to which you can understand those needs in advance of them uh, coming on property is helped, obviously, if you have a large loyalty program, you know who they are, and putting the, the uh, elements in place from a data management perspective to personalize the experience. So all the digitalization technology is, is really its primary uh, focus and purpose is really to provide the, the employees at the hotels the ability to provide a personalized experience and get to know the, the guest on a, on, a, on a level that allows to, you to um, in, enrich their stay and beyond the hotel. A tool in the toolbox. Tool in the toolbox. Takes us people. Taj Hotels, India, a great culture when it comes to people, to services, to service-minded industry. Do you agree? I actually want to go back to what you said, um, and, and I think I'll try to <coughs> uh, build on what Chris just mentioned. Um, the product is not gone. I don't agree that you know the things that you call standards are you know they are always going to the next level and the next level. We obviously don't need golden bathtubs, as we just said before the before the commencement of this panel, but there are more and more improvements coming from a product perspective, which I call a very natural evolution. So there is an evolution of luxury. Why is there an evolution in luxury? Because the number of luxury customers have increased more than 10 times. 
the number of millionaires, billionaires and people wanting to have a different kind of an experience has gone to a level that we have never seen before. So I think that's a great opportunity for all of us uh, sitting on this panel that there is a customer who has the disposable income and who's willing to pay for a differentiated experience. So when it comes to Taj Hotels, we we have the wonderful palaces, you know, we maybe the best in the world in conversion of palaces into hospitality experiences. We are in the safaris business and uh, we have some of the most uh, iconic assets, whether it's in New York or it's in Cape Town or it's in London. Um, and we are very blessed that having done this, we can actually bring in from an evolution to a revolution. And the revolution is when you start taking charge using what Chris said, building the talent for tomorrow. That is the talent that is needed to serve the needs and wants of the luxury traveler. Otherwise, the third thing will keep coming in and that is what I call disruption. There are disruptors who come in and give you a kind of, a, kind of a, you know, experience which they would say it's luxury but at an affordable price. And that is all the evolution of the, the so-called new brands and uh, more in a you know, very stylish kind of segment. But it's actually those people wanting to experience luxury. So I think we are very blessed. And as a part of our evolution and revolution journey, we just last week launched uh, a homestay and, uh, and a plantation trail brand called Ama. And that is giving people experiences of how the spice plantation works how coffee plantations work, how is an experience in a tea plantation where you have tea tasting instead of just wine tasting like in Europe, and how you take that luxury experience of families uh, spending uh, a weekend or an extended weekend together in a homestay uh, instead of being in the 8th or 10th or 15th floor of some high-rise building uh, in, in a very big city. So I think... This is how we look at it. We have done it for 115 years. And uh, is the question is, how do we build it for the next 100 years? Benjamin, evolution, revolution, soft facts. How does Jingjiang, how does Metropolo go along these lines? It is very interesting that Metropolo brand uh, is born in, in 1930 in, in, in China, in Shanghai. And Jinjiang bought the brand in 2013, uh, and there is uh, today um, 100 uh, hotels in China, and we are launching this brand uh, international um, with um, real target to match and to have a blend of the Chinese culture and the Occidental culture. So it means in terms of I'm service, and I'm going to talk about people, uh, because the way we see the luxe today is the way people and the staff especially will be able to uh, welcome guests, to give them some service, some new, um, new things to make the stay something you know, you'd remember. That's, that's a luxury. And in, with Metropolo, I will give you an example. Uh, the check-in, check-in time in every Metropolo in the world, you've got near the reception desk a tea hub. And every guest coming will be and is welcome with a tea ceremony at the check-in. And this is part of the experience, and this is something uh, we want and we will improve uh, in uh, every uh, moment of the, of the guest. 
Uh, and the challenge with Metropolo International is to match uh, and to have this blend of cultural Chinese experience, luxe and occidental and occidental uh, culture. Thank you very much. Which takes us to Steigenberger, one of the big names, one of the senior capacities when it comes to hotel trade here in, in Europe. What I find very exciting is we have the East, we have the West, we have almost the whole world here represented on stage. Um, if you summarize some of what you heard from your perspective, how does, that, um, how does that take you to the topic of the new dimensions of luxury? We have a, we have a history of... Uh, is the mic working? I think your a, microphone is not quite on. Not working? Can the technique help me? So Otherwise I have to yell. No, it is. I think maybe no, if is. you just took your microphone a bit closer, maybe that will do the job. Is it working? Yes, I think it does. Mm. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. So I think the, uh, the Steigenberger brand was, was based on taking Punit's term on palaces um, in Germany, in Switzerland. Uh, but palaces you can't replicate. Uh, so we have a history of Frankfurter Hof or Davos, the Grand Hotel, or Dusseldorf, the Park Hotel, all famous um, buildings. Uh, so on purpose, we created an umbrella brand to create four new brands to keep the Steigenberger luxury space indigenous and special and sharpen it every day. We just launched the brand yesterday new and gave it a new image and a new look and feel. Um, but I think, uh, coming to your quote, that luxury was never tangible. Um, it was always intangible. So it was always the expectation beyond the regular and not the <coughs> bathtubs and uh, not only the beds and... Uh, The palaces were, were tangible, okay, but the service component was, of course, making the luxury, the difference. And in these days, what is important, I, la, la, the luxury word is also difficult, I think, to be exclusive, to be anonymous in a hotel, to have space, um, <coughs> to have freedom, and to surprise with the unexpected, so CRM, data knowledge, um, to have it behind the scenes, but really... Um, knowing your customer is really luxury and then uh, addressing the needs and the likes uh, in a very nice way. Putting this in the umbrella brand but in the luxury space there is much more expectation and um, <coughs> the, uh, the target group will grow. It will grow and what we see in our research that we have more young and younger people in luxury space. So for the special occasion you, you really visit a grand hotel. So we have people there guests which are uh, 26 and 27 sometimes I think uh, well I couldn't have afforded it in that age but they do they, they take this very special treat for a very special occasion and they talk about it they put it on social media and they have followers and uh, this is for our industry it's, it's wonderful thank you very much it's wonderful to hear your statements and yet please allow me to be a bit of an advocatus diaboli in the sense of how do you distinguish yourselves among yourselves? At the end of the day, there is a lot of common sense in terms of you all represent palaces. It is a, a splendid bygone world that you represent, that you evolutionize, revolutionize. We all focus on the human side to it, on our soft factors. Um, I hear you loud and clear, Chris. You're talking about the branding. These are, marketing. These are marketing things that we do. 
But is it a UAP, a unique advertisement proposition that you're trying to put at stake here, or is it a USP, a unique selling proposition? What is it exactly what I buy? How do I distinguish? Why do I, as a hotel guest, with the, with the, with the, 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 the needs, um, go for a Raffles instead of a Tarch? Or why would I go to a Metropolo instead of a Steigenberger? What makes that thing? Well, I would never confuse branding with marketing. In, from my perspective, branding is all about the delivery of the guest experience. I, when I think about a luxury hotel, or actually almost any hotel brand, although further down the value chain it may be more physical elements, but when I think about luxury branding, you know, in, in 85, 90%, some portion of the perception of the brand is driven by the experience that the guest has engaging with our employees. That's what forms the brand. And so um, I'm not talking about marketing. When I think about how to distinguish, I focus on, with our research, focus on what do people see in the brand from that guest experience. Fairmont, for example, built their entire brand not by focusing on the customer, actually. They focused on their employees. They built an inter interview process, a structured interview that was tied to the psychological makeup of an individual and whether they fit with the service culture, which is an engaging service. And so when we look at the research comparing that brand against other brands and that they compete with in the luxury space, what we find is they, they, quote, they end up with a, um, an, a connection, um, an emotional connection two and three times higher than any of their competitors, but it's because of the way they're hired and trained and the orientation that they have. Um, obviously, back to his point, we have to have uh, physical elements. Uh, we too have in that brand tons of castles, the Savoy, the, uh, the, uh, the Plaza, uh, the Peace Hotel, and, and, and many of our, our Canadian iconic assets. But that's just where they do their business. The, the real branding is in that delivery. When, I look at the, when we look then at, at Sofitel, Sofitel is a brand that has a very French DNA. It can be distinguished easily in terms of the programming that we can put in place, whether it's food, whether it's uniforms, whether it's the, the feel of the hotel. And then Raffles, having an Asian orientation, um, it's really more around a combination of both the physical, i.e. the tended spaces, tend guest rooms, for example, tend to have bigger spaces, um, but they're, they're places of occasion, but they're also places where the service style, while not subservient, is, as we describe it, service like a gentle breeze. You feel it, you, you don't necessarily always see it. But working from the consumer back on each of the elements that we think make a difference to the brand is how we tend to focus it. I don't think about it as marketing at all. That's distribution. That's getting that message out and trying to connect with the customer. Um, the, the real branding is in how we deliver that one-on-one. -on -one. So it's about creating personalities. I, I, they're each different. And I, again, I, I, you, each one has a different focus in terms of, um, of, of the, the focus on or the orientation of the brand. Um, the, um, as I mentioned, you know, Fairmont is much more focused on a style of, of service. Um, Sofitel is much more focused on elements that people can easily recognize and distinguish. Um, and then Raffles has a combination of physical programming and emotional. Can I jump in there? Yes, please. I, I think our, our challenge, I don't want to say problem because we will deal with it, is uh, if you go back 150 years, there was no brand. The, the brand was the single hotel. So there was one Adlon or there was one palace. Um, the trick is how do you duplicate it? So the second is already tricky. 
Um, so how do you copy a hotel? I mean, if you bring a new BMW 7 Series, they all look the same, right? But we have uh, small hotels, resort, big hotel, airport. We have um, city center. So we have... Um, this is our challenge. And that's why we all created brands. And now we want to duplicate 100, or in your case, probably even thousands. In our case, not that many. But... Um, how do you deliver this brand promise? The general manager is important, the people are important. The product, maybe it goes back, not so important. However, you will always compare this to the singular, iconic super hotel we had. And this is our trick, you know. The, uh, how do we, how would you, this is branding then, marketing will deliver it. But um, you can't copy hotels, it has, it's a soul you have. It's, uh, it's, and it's people. This is a people business in luxury. It's you not cannot a, uh, it's copy not a, that is right. I think it's a very interesting point that you raise. Uh, and that's what makes the branding part, as Chris mentioned, also very interesting. You know, the brand has a certain standards and a certain promise that you find globally. But a consumer is looking for authentic local experiences. I... I am not sure, at, at, at least we have not done it, uh, like maybe Accor has. We have not put kind of an Indian experience in New York. And we did it in Cape Town. I don't think it came across as well, because you don't go to Cape Town to experience India. And I think what is very important is this kind of a global, local or global approach. And it is more so important in luxury. Than it is in any other standard of brand. You know, you can, if you go to the bottom of the pyramid, it could be anything, anywhere. But the moment you are paying those kind of rates, that kind of uh, revenue per night for your stay, I think your authenticity is becoming more and more relevant in our <coughs> business field today. Now, maybe a new generation will come and even that will evolve and change. But as things stand today, I'm, I'm very, very convinced that um, uh, the consumers seek authentic experiences, especially in luxury. And, um, and I give an example. I mean, we, we just created a resort in Andaman and Nicobar Islands. I don't know how many of you know that, but uh, it's a very pristine islands. Um, over 450 acres, we, we built a hotel without bringing down any tree. Uh, it is plastic-free, first of the resort of its kind, um, at least in our portfolio. There may be other examples which are good. And a lot of consumers want that kind of experience. They value that approach with the focus on building a new destination, creating a new destination, having a sustainable you know, form of business. And, um, and we are... We are doing rates there that I would have never imagined are possible, like in, sometimes north of in the high seas and north of 1,000 euros a night. So, so I think, why? Because it is authentic. Why? Because it's something new. Why? Because it's another style of luxury. It's another experience. It's, um, this is very interesting. It's fascinating for me because I have to admit is you have always been my trouble in my professional career because I was always in the individual hotels. And I always was kind of beating against the copy-paste. Um, I once had a, sorry, a marketing professor, and he said, you need to, I need to do this in German, and I'll translate. Mm. Sie müssen kapieren, nicht kopieren. Mm. You need to understand and not copy. And I always needed to be ahead of you people, because I was all by myself. 
And the formula that was a winning formula was the uniqueness. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if, if I ran Frigate Island in the Seychelles, it was because of that very uniqueness, which was absolutely impossible to copy. And people would pay a fortune just to get that one-off experience, mm-hmm. that, that ultimate in luxury, that, that exclusivity promise that we actually had, have given. And therefore, please allow me to take this discussion to the next level in terms of is this still luxury? You're talking about the democratization of luxury, and I totally, totally agree. And today we kind of see a bit of a, of a gap opening up between, may I say, a high-end and a top-end tier. And the question is, how do you go about that? Because what I have noticed is that increasingly these intangible values, being space, being time, being exclusivity, being safety, very important, being health, um, being this, serv- this, 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 this personalized and individualized services is, is actually what makes the difference. Um, and uh, how do you manage, how do you cope? And maybe... Um, yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. I'll share with the audience one little experience, right? In, so one of our palaces in the state of Rajasthan, for example, when you check in, when you arrive, you are taken in a carriage, horse carriage. Then you get out of the thing and you're given salutes like it was done to the Maharajas in the past. Then there is some songs, and music and dancing. And then there is the ceremony of putting, uh, you know, a red dot on your forehead. And while you are entering, there is a, what you call a rain of rose petals. So from the, the terrace, the rose petals are falling. Now, for maybe, you know, a lot of Indians within India, that would not be like something very unique or special. But imagine when Europeans come, arrive... And they have this kind of authentic experience in a beautiful palace which is maybe 1,000 years old, restored exactly the way it should have been. And that's how you differentiate. But you can't cut, copy, paste that experience in every palace or every hotel because you look, you look funny. Mm. So if you get into Mumbai or Delhi, suddenly there is you know, a kind of a rain of rose petals. Uh, it would not only be a waste of money, but it will not come across well. And that is, to your point, it is still very relevant today that the art of differentiation is there. The only challenge I see for the industry, now I'm not talking about our group, when you run more than 100, Thomas said it was the first hotel and even the second one was difficult, I agree with that too. But there is a certain size in which you can still differentiate very much and provide authentic experience. The moment you go to 500, 1000, 2000, I don't think anyone has found the formula. Otherwise, there would have been a luxury chain with 1000 hotels. But the horse carriage in New York City is difficult, right? <laughs> um, and and I, I totally agree. You have to create this experience, but maybe it's in New York different because in New York it's a different experience. You're, you're on a business trip, you're busy anyway, don't have time. But if you, like, like say, the standard could be butler service. But the butler service is very different from Paris and from uh, Cape Town. And I think this is, this is then the definition from the locals. This cannot be always a global standard. And sometimes, I worked for an American company a lot of times, you just Americanize the standard and you have the same in Paris like in Nashville, Tennessee. And that is difficult. But if you really give that a local touch, I think this is the nice yeah. thing. And I think back to what I was saying earlier about product programming and people. At the luxury tier... You don't see an awful lot of the. You don't see an awful lot of luxury brands 
where you can go from asset to asset and say, yeah, that must be a, uh, an X brand, because the reality is we're all differentiating not on physical, and which was your opening comment. We're differentiating on the programming, as I refer to it, the experiential side of it, which comes back to who you hire, because you can't replicate um, and you can't have any corporate office going around trying to build the, the uniqueness and the authenticity. The people you hire, the leaders of the properties, have got to have that in their DNA. They have to understand that the brand is all about delivering a promise, whatever that promise is. And so uh, it's, it's, you can continue to replicate to the extent that you can hire and train and have people who have the same passion for the brand as that very first hotel that opened. Um, but it really, you know, people always ask me about, you know, what's the biggest challenge today? And challenge in our industry has been, is, and always will be people. It's getting, it's getting the right talent aligned around the right vision for the brand and being able to deliver it on a consistent basis. And so whether you're hiring a room attendant or whether you're hiring a general manager, um, that's the thing that you really have to be focused on. Can they deliver that, that promise? Hmm. Your applause. Jing Zhang. Yes. Now, um, what do you say? You've gone pretty quiet the last couple of minutes, so please. He was thinking that you, there are so many people in China. <laughs> Why is there yeah. such a problem? <laughs> As you know, when, when in the few years coming, that uh, around yeah, three, five years coming, 200 millions of Chinese people will uh, travel uh, over the world, and this is, a, this is a very good news for Metropolo Hotels because uh, in our international development, and uh, we have selected you know, some 80 uh, key cities, in the, especially on the Obor Road, uh, and, this is, uh, and one of our challenge is um, how, and I fully agree when you say product is pretty easy to, to copy. Uh, you have a standard, you have a brand, you have everything, this is easy to copy. How in each city over the world you can find the right mix between the culture of the brand and the local, the local culture. And how do you um, train people, give them the, the, the way to be very inspired and give the service to the customer? Customer, what do they wait? They are choosing an hotel, they are choosing a location, and they are choosing to have um, an experience, a, an, an, a cultural experience. The traveler, they are traveling two, three days, and for business or for leisure, and they want to have um, local experience and a cultural experience. And this is the way you will be able to, to train people and to explain them, to implement them in the city, uh, to give them the, the, the maximum, the feed, the feed the sound of the guests. Glocality. Think global, act local. We picked up on another topic just before we entered the stage. It's about the digital world. And um, as we just said before as well, is, is digital a curse? Is it a blessing? And um, I think we all agree it's just a tool in the box. It's something that we need to ultimately deliver our services, our services concepts. But let's take it to the next level. <clears throat> I just read a couple of weeks ago that there now in the heart of Silicon Valley, there is a digital detox zone. Um, is Taj going to be digitally detoxified? Is Steigenberger going to double its Faraday cages with no more um, Wi-Fi? What 
is your opinion on the future of digitalization in terms of the guest experience? I, I can start. I mean, it makes our life easier and it works for the customer and for the guest. That's important. If you think about the airports, uh, we all check in online at home, right? If that would happen at the airport, there would be no space for counters anymore. So we discussed it a lot every, every day. Would it work for luxury hotels, like an automated check-in? Is that what you want? Going with your app straight to your room, open the door, not seeing a receptionist or a concierge for the whole time. I think also there it depends on the purpose of travel. If it's a very busy day and you have uh, four hours in, in London, you just want to take a shower and for your next meeting and are jet-lagged, I think that's okay. And an anniversary experience in a resort, obviously not. So I think we have to give the freedom to our guests to, to use it as they would prefer it. And uh, the big advantage for us is in the digital world is knowledge about the customers, you know, loyalty programs, CRM. Um, but it has to be done in a very smart way that it's not offending the guest. So, but expecting and knowing the pillow and the fruit thing and the chocolate, uh, that's digital. Um, would it go to robot, to KI? I hope not. I think that wouldn't work in luxury space. Hopefully not. But the, let's say, the checkout process is boring for all of us. You know, the check-in process is also something which is always the same. That could be optimized, but then the concierge is important to discuss cultural things, the rest restaurant recommendations, take you as an ambassador through the city, talk about culture and events, and uh, I think this becomes more. So it will be a mix out of uh, digital and analog experience. And uh, if, uh, I think you said Howard touched to it. I, th I, I think it's more important to think about the customer journey. And it starts when the gets the idea of now to book. I don't know of our customers who would be not having a lot of help uh, to get their bookings done, right? It's not, they're not going online and checking the rates or the ratings on the TripAdvisor or any other portal to see whether I should go to this luxury resort or a luxury business hotel or not. I think everybody knows uh, who is in that space where they want to stay when they're in Monaco or they are in you know, other parts of the French Riviera or they are in India or in Goa or in Bangkok or in Singapore. So I, I, and I don't think, as Thomas also rightly said, that the world has come to us think that, you know, you start opening a, a luxury hotel room with a, with a mobile phone. Maybe there are 5% people who like to do it. Maybe there are 10, maybe 15. But definitely, it's a very, very small number. And then each brand has to decide based on their customer base as to what is relevant for them. Mm. And... Uh, you know, everything that happens in U.S. or in California, we have a hotel in California in San Francisco, so we might do a digital detox in San Francisco, but I don't think we start doing a digital detox in Goa. I think most of the people get off their phones, uh, get into Ayurveda, get into other kinds of experiences when they're there, and leave the smartphones away. So it just happens automatic. I think every guru these days in any kind of a cultural forum tells you not to look at your mobile phone, especially on holidays and even when on business days, not to look at it so many times or all the time in the day, you know, this makes you crazy. So, so I think it has to be relevant 
which part of the world, in what kind of experience, um, and that the rest takes care of it itself. Unplug. Um, very much so. I, I guess I think that the first department in a hotel to disappear in luxury trade will be the reception. Mm. Because we don't need receptions. We need living rooms. We want to, let's call this management by womb, like go back to a safe, a protected, a place where I feel at ease. And you don't do that at a reception which just bars you, but it's a place where you feel welcome. I don't agree again. I don't think this living room concept is really for luxury. Living room is anything in upper upscale. You're most of the luxury hotels don't have a receptionist standing behind the reception counter. You have chairs for your guests to sit down already like 15, 20 years ago. It's not like you're standing at the reception. If they are somehow constrained because the hotel was built several years ago, you cannot change the counter. It's very different. But that is not happening. A living room concept, I'm sorry to you. You're the moderator. I'm doing, making a tactical <laughs> mistake. That's quite fine. But... Uh, but a living room concept has become very synonymous with the lower end of the pyramid where every hotel brand has come up with some kind of living room. You know. So uh, whether it's uh, interactive spaces, high tables, low tables, uh, fireplace, having some books around there, I, I think there are at least 100 brands today that have that concept. I mean, Chris, maybe I don't know what you think. Well, I, that's an interesting conversation. I think in the luxury space, there's no one answer. It, there's purpose of trip. Um, there's the way customers want to be engaged with. I think you, you know, responsibility we have is to be able to provide the uh, the options to our customers in whatever they want. Back to this issue of uh, what did you call it, digital uh, detox. Detox. That's up to them. I'm not going to tell people they have to go on a diet or stop drinking or stop eating or stop looking at their emails. I think what you were seeing, though, which is interesting to what you were describing, is this uh, this place that's so remote, etc. The, the concentration in our cities, the, the concentration of digital, um, if you will, avalanche of, of information and everywhere people turn, people are looking to go further and further away. Some people, usually luxury, because they can afford it, to get further and further remote so they can have that detox. It's within our responsibility to try to provide uh, the arrival, the departure, their engagement on property with, with whatever they want and however they want to engage. The rest of the digital is all back to what Thomas was saying is how do we take the tools that help us enable the ability to provide personalized guest experience. We have to try to keep that away from the guests because that's not necessarily what they want in luxury. But I think the rest of it, we can overthink it. And I also think it's geographically sensitive, purpose of trip, urban, resort, da-da-da-da. You have to really, uh, that's not, those are not brand standards. Those are things you have to adapt to your customer base in your locale based on what you believe your customer wants uh, and where they're coming from. So I, I think it's, you can, you can get carried away trying to, you know, create lobbies for, that, that look like living rooms or, you know, trying to do all kinds of creative things. You've got to it's, start with whether or not that's going to impact there is your a, guest. There is a famous uh, German saying, which I'll also translate into English, uh, you don't have to be more Catholic than the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and at, at the end, the customer is, is free to choose to be connected or not connected. So the, what we have to do is to give him the opportunity to do it, and he will decide at the, at the end. It's interesting because we, we have launched in, in Shanghai a new label, a smart hotel. 
Everything is connected. There is robots everywhere. Uh, with, and this is very interesting, the way the customers are using it. Uh, they are using it if they want to do it, like a service, like to get some information. And if they need to have a contact with, with someone, they can do it also. So this is just the way you decide to manage your, uh, your experience in the, in the hotel. So there is not a full answer, uh, but customer at the end will choose. The answer is yes. What is the question? Steigenberger. Thomas, what do you say? Well, I outlined that already. I think, um, I think it comes back to the very, very first statement. How do you wow the guest? How do you anticipate the expectations of the guest? Purpose of trip is very important. Are you traveling on your own? Generations are important. Um, and I don't fully agree to say in luxury you can't uh, automize. I think people from Silicon Valley are more open to that. First-class travelers do check in online at home. They don't check in. They even bring their bag and put their own batch around it. I saw that. It's, it's an amazing thing. You just do it because it's more convenient. It's easy. Uh, you're on your phone. You don't want to talk to anybody. So I think, uh, and also... Five-star plus ultra-luxury hotels. People travel on economy. If it's an hour flight, uh, you know you don't need the private jet. I mean, you could easily afford it, but people don't do that. But they have a great dinner and they spend the money in the bottle of wine. Um, so I think there's no standard. There's no standard, and our job is, and I repeat it in CRM, to really know your guest. Know your guest. We all go to have a favorite Italian. So this Italian, we all go to. This waiter exactly know how you like the spaghetti and the carbonara, whatever, and the wine. And he will address you with a name. And this is, uh, this is luxury in a way, you know, even if it's a pizza. But he cares about you and gives this customer, the guest, the feeling. And he will talk about it. He will come back again and will t tell his friends. And uh, if we get that right and can duplicate it in a way that it doesn't sound standardized, we are the winners. This is as if we are starting to manage our hotels on a more holistical basis, where we just try to get this balance of brain and heart and stomach. I wish I could have taken some of the answers, but you can see we started to heat up here, and I think we could go on for, for hours and hours. But um, I'm afraid I have to come to the end. Um, would like to sincerely thank you, uh, wishing you all the very, very best thanking you for being such a great, great audience and uh, would like to uh, wish you an excellent ITB, an excellent stay and a very good day. Thank you very much Thank you. and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Travel Hero podcast by ITB. If you like what you heard, make sure to check in soon again and subscribe to our channel to know when it's time to reveal another Travel Hero story.